Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. So we're continuing our series this morning, this Decisions That Determine the Destiny of Our Lives. And we're going to be talking about this question that started the whole thing to begin with is, what do we need to do that will make the most of this new year and new decade in front of us? How do we make the most of the opportunity that God has given us? No matter how much time we have left, we want to make the most of it. So how do we do that? So what we've been doing is taking this one principle that God has taught all through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that is shown up over and over and over, and it's this principle we call the harvest principle. And essentially, the harvest principle says this, that we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. And embedded in this principle is the uh, assumption that our behavior, our choices will determine the outcome of our life in the sense that our choices are like seeds that are planted that raise up a harvest that we have to live with. And if you think about it, in the past, the decisions that you've made, the choices that you have made with your life have created your current circumstances, both good and bad. The current state of your marriage, the current state of your finances, the current state of your career, the current state of your family life, by and large, to the large degree, has happened because of decisions that we have made. So it stands to reason that if we're looking to the future, the best predictor of the future that God has given us is to ask the question, what am I, what are you sowing right now in all areas of your life? What, what is it you're sowing in your life? And the Apostle Paul in the New Testament talks about this powerful, unchanging principle of God when he's writing to these young Christians at this city called Galatia, it's the Galatian letter, chapter 6, verse 7, here's what the Apostle Paul says, and he's like trying to help them and us today to be able to understand there is no exception to this rule. Here's what he says. He says, do not be, let's say it together, do not be deceived because many people are. They think, oh, I'm going to be the exception to the harvest principle. Like, I can sow one seed and I don't have to live with that harvest. Or I want a completely different harvest from the seeds that I've sown in the past. I want to sort of cancel that harvest, Lord. Give me a different harvest. Well, that's not how it works. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. His justice isn't mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That will she also reap. It applies to everybody. Now, God forgives sin. Absolutely. He absolutely does that. But many times he chooses not to change the ramifications or consequences of choices that we have made. He's going to use them in our life to teach us, grow us, bring depth that we never had before. But we have to remember, we will always, this is what he's saying, don't be deceived, we will always reap what we sow. And we will only reap what we sow. And many times we will reap more than we sow. And that can go good or bad. <laughs> It can move in either direction. And in other words, if you want carrots in the backyard, you better plant seeds that are carrot seeds, right? If you plant any other kind of seeds, you're not going to get carrots. You can't expect to have carrots. That's the way life works. This is what Paul is saying. You do the same thing with the decisions that you make, with the habits 
that you form. We talked about that two weeks ago. With the belief system that you adopt. We talked about that a couple of weeks before that. And same thing today, we're going to talk about it again. That you won't grow what you don't sow. You won't grow. What, what kind of father, what kind of, wife, what kind of, what kind of uh, mother or father do you want to be in the future? What kind of husband, wife do you want to be? And maybe more importantly, well, not maybe, absolutely more importantly, what kind of husband, father, mother, wife does God want you to be? What kind of person does he want you to be in the future? It comes down to the seeds that you're sowing right now. It's so important. It's the best predictor of the future. Today, we're going to take this magnifying glass of the harvest principle, and we're going to put it over an important area of our life, the area of relationships. And we're going to ask the question, what relationships are you sowing in your life right now? This is such an important question to ask. You have no idea. We forget many times just how powerful and how important the relationships of our life are. And here's the reason why this is so important. We see it all around us all the time, but I actually saw it again last Sunday night at the end of the Super Bowl, right? In the last couple of moments, the camera was scanning around and went from one happy Kansas City Chief player to another, right? And they're celebrating it. Some of you are still celebrating. The 50-year streak is over, right? national championship. This is an amazing, incredible moment. But what's really interesting, the guys that had the opportunity to articulate this to a guy, without exception, would say, the reason we're here at the Super Bowl, the reason we just won is because we are a part of a winning team. Now, directly across the field, right, the 49ers were experiencing the pain of defeat. And I thought, wow, isn't that just like life? The people that we align ourselves with, right, can create in us, can produce in us either the fact that we win at life or that we lose at life. can be an incredible predictor, the people that we align ourselves with. In other words, it is impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. You've ever heard that? It's incredibly, and it's so easy to forget this. The Apostle Paul, in another letter in the New Testament, his first letter to the church at Corinth, Corinthians chapter 4, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, he, he begins this verse exactly the way the last verse that we looked at. He says this, do not be deceived. Let's try it one more time. Do not be, there we go, all right. Again, he's saying, because many people are. Many people think that this doesn't apply to them. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And another translation says, bad company corrupts good character. In other words, he's saying a lot of people think that they, they, they don't see the correlation between the friends that they keep and the outcome of their life. The friends that they have and the people they align themselves with, the people they pull close, their inner circle, and the way that life is going to turn out. He's warning. He's saying, listen, look out for friends that begin to pull you away from the Lord Jesus Christ. People that pull you away from your faith. Do you notice in your life right now that faith is sort of feels like it's getting more distant, more weak, you got more doubts, or maybe it's just flatlined? The Apostle Paul would say, take a good look at your friend circle. Take a good look at the people in your life because they have a bigger impact on you than you may realize. It's so incredibly important. 
to pay attention to that. Now, um, it, really interesting here that there was a book, actually an article I came across this week by a man by the name of David Burkus. He's written many books. One of the more recent books that he's written is called A Friend of a Friend. And in the book, he looks at all kinds of new research that comes out that talks about the power of the network of your friends in your life that impacts your life and even your career in your future. And one of the things he looks at in the book, he says, you know, we've known this for a long time. You've probably read this, heard this from sociologists and psychologists that you are the average of your five closest friends. Maybe you've heard this, that you're, you tend to be not the highest wage earner of all of your friends. You're not the lowest. You're not maybe the highest educated. You're not the lowest. You're maybe not the, the highest or the most spiritual person that you know. You're not the lowest. You know, you're usually an average of those five somehow. And he states in the book, he talks about the fact that this actually goes way further than just the five people. There's way more influence and impact on your life than just those five close people. He says, when we look at different behaviors that people begin to adopt in their life, something like smoking, they take smoking because that's an easy one to research. He says, this, the impact of smoking is kind of interesting. He talks about this. He says, if you look at you, and then here are your three, uh, this is, these are your friends. He says, you, and if you have a friend that smokes, you've got about a 61% chance of becoming a smoker by having a close friend who is a smoker. If you're not a smoker right now, you are really close friends with somebody who's a smoker, 61% chance higher than just random average to become a smoker. If you have a friend who has a friend, so this is your friend, he has a friend that's a smoker, you have a 29% chance to become a smoker if you're not one now. And even if you have a friend who has a friend that has a friend, this is really interesting. You have an 11% chance of becoming a smoker. He's saying this impact of the five closest friends is way bigger than we thought. The research is showing incredible. Be careful who you're connected to. And he shows the same kind of correlation with obesity and even happiness. Now, this may not be a surprise to you that if you have people in your life that are close friends that are genuinely joyful and happy, it has an influence on you to become a happier person. This is what you might not realize, is that if you're a happy, uh, you have a friend who is a friend of a friend of a friend, three layers out, it makes you 6% more likely or 6% more happy by having that distant connection in your life. Now, you may be saying, well, 6% doesn't seem like a whole lot until you parallel it with another research study that he brings up. And he says, here's what's interesting, that if I gave you a $10,000 raise right now, it would only trigger about a 2% increase in your happiness. Wow, right? 6% from this friend of a friend of a friend, but $10,000 only 2%. It's remarkable how people can shape and people, our friends are powerful shapers of our behavior. Friends have so much more power than we realize in our life and over our life. It's really important that we begin to think about this idea that it isn't a question of whether your friends are going to influence your life. The question is, what kind of influence will they have on your life? What kind of influence will your kids' friends have on their lives? your nieces and nephews, your grandkids. And maybe, just maybe, God might be saying, it's time for you to say something, to step in, to help, to assist, to try to shape and mold and help 
where there may be an influence where there shouldn't be right now. And I'll tell you right now that one of the heartbreaking things that I experience and see as a pastor over these last 25 years is to be with people in some of the most painful, gut-wrenching, like regrettable moments of their life. And can I tell you this? Nobody ever ruins their life on purpose. Nobody wakes up one day and says, okay, today's the day I'm going to wreck my marriage, right? I'm going to destroy my finances. I'm going to wreck my future and make my kids totally lose all respect for me, right? Nobody does that. Every story starts off something like this. We had these friends. I had these friends. And they had a lifestyle I didn't agree with. And I swore to myself, I will never do that. That's never going to be me. But I wound up here. How did I get here? How did this happen to me? You know how it happened? Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character, good morals. That's how it happens. That's how it happens for everybody. We're more shaped by and influenced by people than we could possibly realize. In Scripture, constantly, God is constantly reminding us, warning this. Do not be deceived about this. It's so important. So, in your inner circle of friends, there should be a way to qualify people before they just have influence over your life. There should be a criteria, and I want to talk to you about what that should look like. Give, I want to just propose to you three qualifications, three criteria, that qualities that I think could be very helpful to you going forward. And if you're a person who is dating right now, I would really encourage you to take notes. If you are a person who is, uh, you know, beginning to examine your friend circle and say, it might be time to rotate in some new players, okay? It might be time to, to, to try some different approaches here with some different people, right? I encourage you to really think about each one of these. Here, here's number one. Number one is think about people that are committed to making their behavior choices from the Bible, now, let me quickly say, I'm not talking about perfection here, right? If perfection is the standard, I fail. We all fail. Nobody can get there, right? We, we, I'm not talking about people who perfectly apply the Bible all the time. I'm talking, we, we all need lots of grace and forgiveness when it comes to that. But people who are trying, people who are taking this seriously and like actually want it and trying and working towards it, right? You need people like that in your life. And let me make another point. The Bible is clear about this, that we are to love, show kindness to, honor, and respect all people, all of them, whether they ever love God or not, right? That is clear. That's the way Jesus lived. That's what He commanded us. Absolutely. What we're talking about is a select few group of people that you allow to influence you right? That you're careful about. I mean, we all have lots of people, me included, have people in our life that should not have influence over our life, should not be calling the shots or influencing our big decisions. Absolutely. And even people that are really fun and really likable many times, if we're really honest, they don't really have the most positive influence over our life. So we've got to use some discernment and be careful and look for people who will actually 
speak the wisdom of God, who will influence the wisdom of God into our life. And that is so important, especially if you're here and you say, I'm kind of new in my faith. I'm, I'm just getting started or I'm just considering like taking the next step in my walk with God. This is so critical to your life to have people in your life that can do this for you. And what's beautiful is that King Solomon, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, he gives this wisdom to his kids, to his staff, to his kingdom. And now I want to share it with you today. In, in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, here's what King Solomon said. He says, whoever walks with the wise becomes, let's say it together, becomes wise by association. You walk with them, you hang out with them, you do life with them. Guess what? You become like them. And he goes on to say, but the companion of fools is going to suffer harm. So let's talk about what a fool is, okay? I think we all can understand that a wise person who's one who takes the wisdom of God, lives it out, that's what makes them wise. Wisdom just oozes from their life. They don't brag about it. They don't advertise it. It's just obvious, right? They have been making wise tracks over time. You can look back at their life and there's not a bunch of, oh my gosh, I fell into the pit here. I fell off in the ditch there. I made horrible decision after horrible. Like they're showing you Wisdom has flown from their life for quite some time. Fools, however, what is that about? What is a fool? A fool is someone who does not see the consequences to their actions. They live only for the moment. They refuse, they remain blind to the correlation between their choices and their decisions and the future they're going to have to live with. This is why they suffer harm. Because they're acting like a fool. They, are, they know better, but they won't do better, right? That they are, they are choosing to turn a blind eye, and because they're going to suffer harm, if you are associated with them, if you are a companion of theirs, you're going to suffer too. You're going to hurt right along with them because you're right there. They're a ticking time bomb, and when that thing detonates, the shrapnel's going to hit you too. And some of you in this room will say, I'm hurting right now because of somebody. I'm standing right next to them when the whole thing blew up and blew apart, and it hurts to be their friend right now. It hurts to walk with them through that. It is painful. It is difficult, right? You know that. You know what I'm talking about. It's so important to ask the question, who do I know that is really living their faith? Not perfectly, but they're really trying to apply God's truth to their life. This is such an important question to ask. Here's number two. Here's the second criteria, the second qualifier. The second one is people who bring out the best in you. Who is it that brings out the best in you? I read an article recently I thought was so brilliant. It was about a man named Bob Richards. Bob Richards, back in the 1950s, back in the 1950s, here's Bob on the left side of the screen, right? He's still to this day the only man who has ever lived that has won two gold medals at the Olympic Games in pole vaulting, okay? And back in the early 1950s, his goal as a young man was to break the world record held by this guy on the right hand, Dutch Warmerdom. And he was trying, 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 trying with all kinds of coaches and techniques, and he just was hitting a ceiling, and he couldn't seem to get there. And everybody's telling him, Bob, you've got the potential. You can do this. But nobody was able to help him to do it. So one day, he breaks down and just says, okay, I'm going to call Dutch. He calls up Dutch, and he says, listen, 
I'm trying to break your world record. Would you come and coach me? Would you come and help me? And Dutch says, absolutely, I will. Okay, he's like, he comes and he begins to coach Bob. And over the incoming weeks and months, he allows him, he coaches him to be able to add eight inches to his highest pole vault, which is huge. He goes on to get the gold medal at the 1952 Olympics and the 1956 Olympics, wins the gold once again. And it's Dutch who helps Bob to break his own record to go on and do far more at the Olympics than he ever did. And it was like fun for Dutch. Like, yes, I'll help you. I want to be a part of this. This is awesome. He wasn't egotistical. He wasn't trying to get the glory himself. He was trying to help out his buddy. You and I need friends like Dutch in our lives. We need people who believe in you, will work with you. I'm sure there were some tough conversations between these two guys where he's like, you need to forget everything you learned. Because that's holding you back. Like, you need to be able to start thinking in a different way. And let, you need to listen to me. And you, you need to listen to me not because I'm trying to be a boss here. I'm trying to help you because I care about you. And I want to bring that potential that you've got out. You need friends like that that love you enough to speak tough to you sometimes. Because they do love you, not because they don't. We all need people like that. Solomon talks about it like this in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. He says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend, let's say it together, so a friend sharpens a friend. Man, this last weekend, my brother had come to visit me, and we were in the garage doing some, working on something, and I pulled out this old pocket knife. It was in my toolbox. It used to belong to my uncle years and years and years ago. I don't think I've opened that thing in 15, 20 years. Like, that's how old it had rust on it, super old. And my brother John says, hey, let me, let me see if, if I can sharpen that for you. I'm like, good luck, man. I just barely got it open. And so he takes it over to his truck, and he's got this sharpener. He runs it through there maybe five, six times. I felt of it. It was like a razor. Put the edge right back on it. And there was like stuff flying. Like every time you went through it, like rust falling off the blade, literally. You need friends that are willing to do that for you. Here's what's so powerful about this is that it works both ways. You can have friends that keep you sharp, that, keep you, that help you to get an edge, and you can have friends that take the edge away, that take your ability to be sharp and have an edge and to be able to have a, a sharp listening ear to the voice of God, and you can have people that muffle that voice of God. And in a very similar way, they can take the blade away, take the sharpness away. And you got to ask the question, do I have friends like that that bring out the best, that really sharpen me, that are willing to tell me, even when it's tough to hear, things I really need to hear because they actually love me, they care about me? So important. Do you have friends like that? You need to pray for friends like that in your inner circle. Number three, we need people who want to help us to get closer to God, to get closer to God. There's this beautiful story in the Old Testament Right at the beginning of David's kind of professional life, if you will, as he's coming into adulthood, this is shortly after he's defeated Goliath. I'm sure you may be familiar, at least with the generalities of that story, David be defeating Goliath. And then he goes on to defeat the, the Philistines in a couple of different battles. 
to the point where people are like, go David, you are amazing. They're starting to hold up campaign signs like David for king, right? We want David for the king, right? And so the sitting king of the time, Saul, is getting insanely jealous. David's getting all this notoriety. They're writing songs about him. There's a hit song on the radio here in, you know, Israel about David, and they don't write songs about me, and he's getting insanely jealous, and he decides, I'm going to kill David. I'm going after him. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill his men. And that's exactly what he starts to do. He leverages all of his resources to go kill David. Well, here's what's interesting is that King Saul has a son named Jonathan, who if anybody should have been jealous, it should have been Jonathan. He was heir apparent to the throne. He should have said, hey, it's me. I'm supposed to be the next king, not David. But he knew that God had chosen David. It was clear. Jonathan goes out and finds David in the wilderness when his daddy and all of his army couldn't. And he came to him, and they were best friends, by the way. And he was the kind of friend that David needed in that moment. And here's what 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 16 tells us about that moment. I love this. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. He speaks to him. He says, I know you're scared my daddy's going to kill you. I, I know you're afraid you're never going to be king because of what's happening right now, but I want to encourage you, trust in God. Everything God promised to you is going to come to pass, and that nothing he does is going to get in the way of what God wants to have happen, and I just want to encourage you, and he was there to bolster his faith, to build him up. We need people like that in our life that are willing to come to us in these desperate moments and say, it's going to be all right. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to be right here with you. I'm going to walk with you through this valley of the shadow of death. You don't have to fear evil because God's with you, and I'm here to remind you of that. We all need friends like that, ladies and gentlemen. And I just want to encourage you today to take a close look at that friendship circle that you have in your life and ask yourself, do I have people there that are really trying to live out behaviorally, choices-wise, really trying to live out God's Word? Do I have people that really bring out the best in me? Do I have people who are really trying to encourage me to closer to God? If you're a single pe person here today, I want you to take these three and let them be a criteria for which you decide who you're going to date, who you're going to let into your life. Ladies, let this be the kind of man you date. Men, let this be the kind of woman you date. I'm telling you, we'll save you all kinds of heartache in the long run. Trust me, I've walked with so many people down this road. Look for those who are looking for this kind of, and be the kind of friend that you're looking for. Be the kind of person that the kind of person that you're looking for is looking for, right? You need to be that kind of person as well. Couples, if, whether you've been married for years or you are engaged to be married, I just want to encourage you to let these three criteria, these three qualifiers, to be a discerning, blade-sharpening kind of question-asking process for you to be able to choose wise friends to pull close to you. It will make all the difference in the long run of your life. You know why? Because it is impossible, not hard, impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. And I just want to encourage you today that today's the day, and you heard Megan mention this earlier in the service, that our online registration for all of our small groups begin. 
And I just want to encourage you that today would be the day to begin that process of saying, I want those kinds of people in my life. Now, the people in small groups are not perfect. You're not perfect. It's okay. But we're all committing together to say, hey, here are the three things small groups do. They help develop intimacy with God. They help foster community with other believers and influence with the world that we all have to live in, right? It helps us with those things. And it's so awesome to see how God has used these small groups in different ways to help different people. So I just want to encourage you today to take a moment individually or maybe as a couple, go to our website, brazosfellowship.com, click on this link, Life is Better Connected, join a group, click on it. And once you get in uh, the next screens, you only have to do three things. Find a group, join a group, meet a group right? It's a very simple process. We try to make it as easy as you possibly, we possibly can for you. So please take a few minutes to do that. We would love for you to be a part of this next semester, next generation, if you will, of small groups that are about to launch, that you could be a part of those. But I want you to know here today that even if you are doing all of this, but you do not have a relationship with God, the New Testament is clear that it was through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that God made it possible for us to become friends of God, that we can become the children of God, sons and daughters of the Most High God, that He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your God. And so I just want to encourage you today that would you would just open your heart up to Him. We're going to have a prayer in just a moment, but before we do, I want to ask you to pray this application prayer with me as we go into our time of, of prayer and simply said, it says, Jesus, show me where I need to change my circle of friends, like right now in my life. Help me to make my behavior choices from the Bible. Again, help me to be the kind of person that I'm looking for in others, to bring out the best in others, to help others to get closer to you. I surrender all my relationships to you today, right? I just want to encourage you, if you'd be willing to do that, that's a bold, courageous step in the right direction to let God begin to dictate and to begin to bless your future, that you will reap what you sow relationally in your life. Your children will reap what they sow relationally in their life. It's so, so powerful. And I just want to encourage you today to take what we're talking about today seriously and just see if it doesn't radically change your life over 2020 and beyond. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.